Yes, sir. It's hella black. Black at it again. We got power. You feel me? It's a power outage in California because all these wildfires and shit. So-called wildfires that they're trying to prevent. Conspiracy you know. Blake on the case, y'all. <laughs> y'all go check out his latest thread. <laughs> these niggas up to check, something. Check out my YouTube channel. Um. <laughs> these niggas up to something. That's the Hotep being. Uh, Dr. Blake Earthquake. <laughs> Hotep niggas can never leave the conspiracies alone. That's when you know it's still inside you a little bit. It's not on you. It's in you. <laughs> we here. Hello Black, episode 55. Man, rocking. 55 episodes, bro. That was my number in uh, high school, bro. For real. That's an ass 55, number. 55, man. I was on the D line and O line. Yeah, fifty five. That's a trash number. I'm gonna be honest. It was a left guard, man. You know, you don't. Well, get, you don't, you don't get choice. That's a solid number. <laughs> At least it was line. in the fifties. I'm like, you know, usually that's for linebackers. You give a nigga number like sixty something. That's when. Oh sixty three or something yeah, like that. Yeah, fifty five. I would have respected you as fifty five <laughs> on the line. You like, oh, this nigga could go play fullback at any given time, or go play tight end. So yeah, this nigga might be a boy. Right. <laughs> Hello, black man. We here. We fucking with y'all. We hope you fucking with us. We still here again. You know, with the Asada. Part three. So if you're just tuning into right now, make sure you turn in, tune into the first two. Been reading the autobiography and kind of giving a review and just talking about the different key points. So make sure you tap into the previous episodes for show. Like us on SoundCloud. Subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcasts. You feel me? Wherever you listen, make sure you give a five star review. Tell your partners. Tell your people. It's hella black. Shout out to all the patrons. Patreon.com. So I show back pie for an extended episode. We always have extended episodes. So for five dollars a month, you get extended episodes, exclusive content, and you get to curate them as well. So if you have questions for us, hit us up on Patreon and we'll answer your questions in the extended episode. So one of our patrons said that we should start like um putting different resources in our Patreon shit. I think that's fire. We should for sure start doing that. Cause she was saying, like, oh, it'd have been dope if like like say when we did the nonviolent communication episode, if like Khadija had any readings or like whatever article she referenced that yeah. referenced in that, we can if put we that like put them on Patreon. That would be fire. Yeah, it'd be uh, like the same way we did with the Asada like document uh, PDF. Yeah, if we just like linked it put to the Patreon or whatever, just like whenever we have different resources or something. Definitely, I think that's fire. So shout out. So to yeah, the we finna start having resources for you niggas. Yeah, and crackers. <laughs> I don't know why when I get in front of a mic, I just cannot stop saying cracker. Yeah. I remember at the live show, you're like, you know, it's been a little correct right now. I haven't said cracker once. You just like <laughs> cracker. Like. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's world could be a cracker when I get in front of the mic. But yeah, shout out to all just our being hella black, you know, all our patrons. And if you white, pay up for this shit because this shit is not to be consumed for free. Y'all have consumed too much for free over the past five hundred fucking years. Pay up, Patreon.com/slash hellblackpod. Got a good episode in store too, you know. But kick it back with that Black Joy per usual. Yeah, Man, what's going on with the Black Joy for you, bro? This past Saturday we celebrated Dave's birthday, right? That was Saturday. That was yeah, it was Saturday. Yeah, yeah. It was I, I got a couple of Black Joy moments from last week. Um, starting with Thursday, we all went and watched the um, the football game, yeah. the Rams Seahawks. Although the Rams lost, I was sad about that, but it was just dope to have some of my closest friends in the building, and you know. Having a good time. Shout out to Halftime. For those that aren't familiar, Halftime is a sports bar uh, in downtown Oakland. It's on 14th and that's Webster. not Webster. Is it Webster? Close. I don't know. Look it up, nigga. Close Halftime enough. sports bar. <laughs> Anybody that visits the Bay Area, that visits Oakland, you have to go to Halftime, bro. It's my favorite place. It's like Disneyland for Oakland for black people. You got prawns and fries, wings. Like, it's smack. If, really if you really want to... Uh, um, 
I think for me, if you really want to dive into the black culture of Oakland, like halftime is the perfect spot. You're gonna hear the music that we listen to. It's the perfect combination of like, like twenty one to fucking. 50s, 60s, whatever. Like, yeah, you have OGs in there playing dominoes and shit. They be having <laughs> pool clubs in there. They about to have a gaming league in there. Like, actually, like, PlayStation, like, Madden Live or uh, Madden and 2K type shit. They damn near got everything for, like, different types of niggas. I love that like. place, bro. Like, <laughs> shout out to Halftime, for real. Like, a shameless plug. I really love them, bro. Like, I've had birthday parties in that motherfucker. They do trap brunch up in there. I know everybody got a trap brunch, probably, like, any black fucking place in America is probably doing trap brunch, but no one does it like halftime, nigga, period. Um, so, yeah, being at halftime with y'all on Thursday watching the game, that was fun for me. Uh, and then Saturday, fucking um, celebrating Dave's birthday. And I think the last time since we recorded, my grandma had her 91st birthday. Uh, That's October 1st. So, yeah, chilling with my granny for her, my great-grandmother for her birthday. That brought me black joy. That's beautiful. Yeah, my nigga, so, yeah. Shout out to all the people that played a role over the last, you know, nine days for making your boy happy and joyful. <laughs> Shout out Black Joy. Shit, for me, definitely the breakfast program and having, it was the first time we had medical resources oh, at the program. I, <laughs> I was hoping you wasn't going to say it because I was going to have to copy and paste. <laughs> but yeah, it was the first time having medical resources at the program. Shout out to the Freedom Community Clinic. That was beautiful. They pulled up with, you know, blood pressure, just doing holistic health, checking in mental health wise and had like mental health kits for people and passing them out and was able to just sit and talk with people and also get people plugged into like a medical clinic if they need further medical assistance and medical help. So I was just it was just a super raw moment to be in the hood, be in West Oakland, be where we have been feeding people and providing, you know, resources for the past couple of years and to really just to step our shit up and to serve the community in a stronger way. So that shit was that shit was saucy. Yeah. That was uh I forgot about Sunday. But that was that was amazing. Like niggas brought a clinic to the hood. I know it wasn't full of like all the services that we wish we could provide, but it's a start. You know what I'm saying? And like I look at anything that we've done so far and like, you know, it always progresses and becomes more of a, a resource in uh serving the communities in the ways in which they, they need to be served. So yeah. Shout out to the Freedom Clinic. Yeah. Nah, that shit was late. Dive into the society now. Yeah, so we, Man, this, we ended with chapter ten. Just, yeah. And we, we now we on chapter eleven. Even when you sing me the outline, fam, I'm like, fuck. Like it was such a I don't know if if people deal with this. It's, I think I deal with it, especially with books I've only read one time. Like sometimes like when I'm in the midst of it, it's like super heavy and like on me. But since like if it's like a really quick read, which I will say, excuse me, aside it was for me and not like in a like a disrespectful way, I think that's how enticing it was. But sometimes when I read something really quickly, I don't always retain the information, yeah. um, which is why I think it's good to reread books. But like when we did the, when you did send me the outline and I had like a chance to like dive back into the notes and review each chapter, I'm like, fuck, this shit, this is an amazing book. This, this is shit like a revolutionary person. Bible, to be honest. Like just even going it's back and like reading a, all this shit, yeah, I'm just like, it's like some fairy tale shit, Loki too. I'm like, it's like <laughs> what the fuck? Like despite all the trauma and fucking violence that's in it, but yeah, it just shows what it means. Like the word revolutionary, like I feel like that word is use so often and is being co-opted in, in so many ways and you know we have presidential candidates calling a political revolution voting for bernie sanders like what the fuck Boy, and you have, just be throwing that word around you have aoc <laughs> talking about abolition and all this shit it's like bro this this is real revolutionary shit this is a real abolitionist text yeah and this is you know i think it came out in the 80s so she was writing this stuff but this stuff was going on in her 70s you know yeah so i'm like this shit is just 
full of lessons. Yeah. Full thanks. of lessons, you feel me? And just also just shows you what the state is made of. You know, it's like we was talking about earlier. Yeah. Casado was really an enemy of the state. Yeah, like this, the chapter 11, the ways in which, like, as we dive into that chapter, it really shows you, like, okay, the state was out to get her. Period, point blank. Like, that's just, that's just right. what it is. And, like, the last episode, we talked about how Richard Nixon was involved in her case and appointing judges and shit like that. So, literally, the quote unquote commander of chief, the president, the highest ranking official <laughs> agent of the state, my nigga, was involved in on that your shit. shit. Like, nigga, like that. And she was finding cases to cases to cases. And, literally, from the start of the chapter, basically the start of the book to the end of it, she's yeah. finding cases. So chapter eleven starts with her, um, she's not on trial, that, yeah. but like I guess being arraigned for um, bank robbery. Case. Yeah, the bank robbery case. But like in the midst of this, that kidnapping case is still going on. Yeah. Um, she just had like a ton of indictments against her at the time. Um, but like the chapter eleven starts with her being in back in New York um, and on trial for the, for the robbery. And or not on trial, but yeah, being arraigned for the robbery. Or is it arraigned? Right? Yeah. Is that the term Yeah, it was, it was like preliminary hearings. Yeah. And trying to get evidence. But yeah, I think one of the, the wildest parts of this of the case was that from the very beginning, she was quote on I like what they say identified as as the bank robber. And like from the moment that this was that she was identified, they like had her pictures and her name up. They had a picture of the, the person the woman committing the robbery with her name right under it, saying, like, wanted for robbery. $10,000 reward for any information or the capture of her. Um, Literally, that photo's being spread. She's sending, like, on buses. And, nigga, we know how propaganda works, right? Like, we know how, like, you see something (laughs) enough, you're going to start to believe this shit. Or at least question if it's true, right? Um, And then, so, as part of the, like, a part of their case was, like, having, wanting her to basically reenact the robbery, my nigga. Yeah, (laughs) and take a... Like a photograph of like, that shit. Wear the exact same thing like, that this person has on. Like, nigga, what? Like, all right, do your hair like this. Put this earring on. Put these make this on. face. Put this glass on. And, and take, we gonna have the camera from the exact same angle. Take a photo. And this is like the old, like, this is in the, what, the 70s? So I was like, bro, think about the quality of the shit either. Come on, my nigga. Like, <laughs> from a quote-unquote bank blurry. camera, too. That shit for show blurry. And it's black and white type shit. Hella grainy. Like. And the sick part about it is the judge grants the shit. <laughs> like, yep, come on, let's do it. All right, let's do it I'll right now. Is that, my nigga. But, you know, Asada being, Asada was like, nah, fuck nah, I ain't doing this shit. Yeah. And what did we refuse? And if she didn't refuse to do it, who knows what would have happened? You feel She'd me? Like, convicted. She for sure would have been convicted. Because as the, as, the, as the fucking chapter progresses, right? Like, after she refuses, they basically, like, demand her to do it. And that's when fucking, like, all these, these, the sheriffs, the and sheriffs shit. in the courtroom, like, just basically. Jump on her and start assaulting her, and at the t- like Evelyn's watching in like um, like this is is hap- happening like in the courtroom so put, with yeah, everyone like, watching. You feel me? Yeah, Evelyn is saying everything that's happening. Like, oh, let the record state that they're grabbing her. Let the record state that my uh, yeah, like she's saying everything that's going on. And like after they after they finally basically stop assaulting her, um, Evelyn goes in the back and like checks on her and um, basically tells like, yo, we got him. And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, you didn't hear what this basically what this man just said. Like, the, the fucking judge said out loud that he thinks you're guilty. Out loud. So it's like, that shows you right there what they was dealing with, my nigga. Like, right. The judge already has it in their head. The jury already has it in their head. The, the nigga, any, anyone in power already it's has like it. It's like they're writing the script and they're like, the judge was literally the director of the shit and is writing the script of how the shit finna go. <laughs> you know, the prosecutor's yeah. playing along, choose the fucking jurors. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, Evan was trying to tear all the jurors apart and like all of them would say oh i'm not racist and then she'd be like have you ever sang this song any mini money mo type shit like 
Oh yeah, I've said that. Then everyone else is like, yeah. Yeah. And then literally, like, she couldn't get some of these jurors dismissed. Yeah. The like, judge would still, and you know, would still was, keep them jurors in, it was, despite them being racist as fuck. Like, that shit ended up playing out in her favor. Luckily, they didn't yeah. fucking kill her while they were fucking assaulting her, you know what I'm saying? Or, like, but it ended up, as a result of him saying that on record, that he thinks she's guilty, that ended up getting the nigga thrown off the case, and they had to get a new judge. Yeah. Which was, you know, kind of in Asada's favor. Um, but this really, again, like, what happens next, again, shows, like, the lengths that the state will go to to convict, to convict the enemy of the state, yeah. you feel me? Especially during this time of, like, the Black Liberation Army, right? Like COINTELPRO. Yeah, it shows that. what they would do. Because once they got that judge thrown off the case, they're like, all right, well, Fuck, shit, we what can't we get to do now? We're going to try you for, let's the, get uh, some, for the kidnapping. Uh, let's get some witnesses. <laughs> like, let's hire some witnesses. Yeah. Like, like, the FBI literally hired witnesses. Yeah. And they some like ex drug dealer or some shit like they said. Yeah, because this is this so, is the kidnapping charge. This is the right? kidnapping charge. Yes, yeah, so, like after they get the case, they get the judge thrown off for the uh, the robbery case in New York. They shift her now. She's on trial for um for fucking the kidnapping in Queens. Yeah. Um, and her co defendant for that case is Ron Myers and who she did not know at all. Like one of her co defendants is Ron Myers, a young cat from um. From New York, I think he was like nineteen, and then Rima. I don't remember Rima's last name, mm-hmm. but like that, those were her co-defendants, yeah. and like Rima was an actual like comrade of hers, right? But Ron wasn't, and what's so what's so sick is I think Ron like saw that he was wanted for the shit and turned himself in. Oh like, yeah, like, like, he's like, like fuck, like I really did not do this like, shit. Like he probably thought like, bro, I'm gonna go in and be like, bro, like this shit this is not. What me. happens when you think that the system works for you, right? Like so when the niggas make yeah, the cases, that's how good black, propaganda is. Like you gonna turn yourself in. Like, like when niggas make the cases of like you know cooperating within the system and trusting the system to grant you justice or innocent until proven like, guilty. Good, good police, quote unquote. You feel me? Right. Like this is this nigga Ron went and turned himself in because yeah. he's like nigga. There's no way that was me. Yeah. Like, no way right and then the wildest part is like the the person they said was kidnapped like he walked in with the limp and shit yeah yeah. (laughs) like saying oh yeah this was all sustained from being kidnapped like a few days before that he he came in perfectly fine fine. and then evelyn ripped him apart i was like all right the sickest part of (laughs) that's not was acquitted like they literally hired some nigga and like all right come in here and limp but he was in there a few days before and that's how dumb these motherfuckers really are i'm like like, there's no way it happened this way but then the sickest part was the nigga literally testified that he was fbi informant (laughs) (laughs) and then when they asked him if he had been hired to to conspire against asada he was like i can't speak on that yeah (laughs) Like, like this is how the lengths the state will go but also shows you that they just they foolish as well. Yeah, I, I think another key part that we that we skipped. Um, so like once they're going on, once Asada, Rima, and Ron are about to go on trial for this this uh this kidnapping, Rima actually ends up dying before the trial starts. Right, mm-hmm. trying to escape from prison. Um, so it's just like I feel like with this whole like with with Asada is like something she would take like five steps towards freedom and get. Push back a hundred steps, um, whether it's by the state or like losing a comrade or being fucking assaulted. You know, like it was, it was yeah. just always something. Like she was going through so much in the midst of fighting for her freedom and her life right. at any given moment, right? Because and by design, this is kind of what the state was doing. We're gonna Even, get you some way or another. We're gonna find a way. We'll make up a case and we'll hope you die some way, physically, mentally. You know what I'm saying? Or like by the law. Either we you die in prison. You know what I'm saying? Like that's all. Like that was making all these cases so violence would follow anyone who was you know. Considered to be an enemy of the state. Yeah. Um, and then during 
during that uh you know during her trial because like after rima after rima passes away they you know they still got to go on trial for that shit yeah um asada becomes co-counsel and she makes she makes that speech it was like a really profound speech like it's it's kind of too long for us to um for us to, to for I'm not about to reread it. I don't know if you're about to like that shit in hell long. If you're reading the book, you know what we talk about. If you haven't read the book, go cop that shit and read it because it's a really profound speech. And I think the gist of it is just like she was like reminding anyone that was in the room, anyone that anyone that was attached to the trial, reminding like, yo, what's happening to me is not the first time it's happened. It's happened to anyone that declares themselves an enemy of the state. It's happened to anyone that will. That there's to fight against the state into that will fight for freedom, right? Yeah. It happens to anyone, um, and especially against black revolutionaries that fight against you know the white supremacist state that is America. Um, yeah, I, I, that was that was a that that speech was super heavy, and it was something that I, I found like humbling, and it was humbling and motivating. Humbling in the sense of. You made the point. She was literally playing for her life. Yeah, and you also made you the know? point. You also made the point earlier of, I think, like, the experience of revolutionaries and black radical folks during the Black Liberation Movement being glorified, and you know that's just a part of revisionist history, right? Like that's just what happens, and being co-opted. You know, their their messages yeah. being co-opted, and it's like this is what they was really up against, being railroaded whenever they did get a right. chance to make it to the courtroom. Or being, being under before then, you know under resourced, right? Literally not being able to like bring in quote unquote scientific witnesses. You feel me? Not having budgets for that, having to fight hella different cases at once. Like this shit is not a joke. Yeah. So that's I I think that was with all the things that happened in chapter eleven. That's one of the things I really took away from it is just being humbled, um, being definitely reminded of the strength and the will. Of the of the the many like leaders and organizers and activists that came before us, yeah, and understanding what it truly means to be enemy of the state and what it truly means, and like what what the reality was for so many of the folks that came before us, bro. Like facts. When you really if you, are, re- if you read Saudi, right? you'll never say we're not our grandparents. <laughs> like this is a this ain't your grandparents. Like nigga, what? This shit also got me thinking about the folks that are celebrated, like the people that co opt this politic mm-hmm. and then are simultaneously uplifted by the state you know what i'm saying because it's like nigga if you really are preaching something or the doing state things, isn't gonna celebrate you they're not <laughs> and if the state co on what you're doing you're most likely working for them in some capacity so yeah chapter 11 was, was a really good one definitely and then chapter 12 takes us back to yeah like back down the memory lane type shit where um is it where she's at Manhattan Community College and mm-hmm. that kind of like she started getting involved with the black student organizing group. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this was a very like fundamental time for Asada and her political development um, was when she was at junior college and started meeting black activists and this is when she really became politicized and she joined a group called the Golden Drums. Yeah. And that was like a black organization that pushed, you know, for black studies, black teachers, programs and more culturally um, cultural awareness and just resources for black students on campus you know so this is like the time after you know integration just happened and literally they're finding like okay we need our black teachers we need black studies we need black political education you know so a lot of these things that you know if you were privileged to go to college that are at college universities now this is the shit that Asada was fighting for Panthers you feel me like people who became Panthers part of the BLA shit like that and I feel like that shit is super important 
and people oftentimes forget about the radical history of black studies and this shit was radical niggas who created this shit for sure you feel me like niggas who were declared enemy of the state so if you have a black studies degree african-american studies degree this is the people who fought for you you feel me so i think that's something that's real important but also just showing her political development over time you know i think depending on where you are if you're lucky enough to be around black folks at your institute um and lucky enough to be at a campus where there is even black, these like, programs. There's a black studies <laughs> program, right? Like that's from what I've noticed for folks that were lucky enough to have that. Like this is that is around the time they start to really dive into their blackness and what it means to be black and what it, specifically what it means to be black um, in American history around that shit, right? Because she was talking about um, like that's where she kind of learned about Nat Turner for the first time. Yeah, and think of, like, and I know that's a reality for a lot of a lot of a lot of black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and she talked about how she thought like Lincoln. I think was freed slaves originally, right? Well, we talked about that on episode fifty. I think we'll yeah. how like Lincoln has this fucking like it's, are you when you hear about him, if you really don't know much about him in that time period, American propaganda teaches you essentially that he, that freed, he the slaves. freed the slaves and he made the union perfect when it but was literally he freed just it for a moral reason. Like that's where like it fucks me up is because you get this misconception that Abraham Lincoln, you know, wanted to free the slaves because of moral and ethical purposes when really it was all economical yeah um and one of the uh one of the things that she says is like when she learned about that she she realized that like all the differences between the north and the south were economical and not moral right like i just said and for those that aren't really familiar like i'm not a historian or whatever but from what i, from what I understand and what's like i've read in text um like you know the freeing of slaves uh, was really just like an, an economic decision, right? Like northern capitalists really being afraid that slave owners would like open factories and be able to produce goods and shit because of the free labor, of the free labor <laughs> that they was gonna have, right? Um, and uh, like how the depressions played a, the industry. You feel me? How the depressions played economic a role in that recession. because, <laughs> like, whenever depressions hit, the more industrialized cities didn't have anything to fall back on, like farming, right? Like. That cotton shit was always gonna be there. A lot of niggas the, was always needing cotton and tobacco. You feel me? A lot of the exports that niggas was having up yeah. north, it wasn't it wasn't producing that money, which is why the north wanted to spread the free slate the free state thing to across the union because it'd mean that like and basically even the playing field. That's really what it was about. It mm-hmm. wasn't about for a very small amount of people, you know, like the abolitionists and shit. It was it was about morals and ethics, but for the most part, it was an economical decision, bro. Capitalism. Period. So like you start <laughs> keep to really keeping that shit intact. So you realize you realize that, and you like, oh wait, everything. So I, I think once you realize that, like, wait, everything I knew about America that I've been taught about black folks in America is pure bullshit. And I remember, you know, sometimes you just have those aha moments. I know for myself, like I had that shit, just reading, you know, and just learning more about shit. I'm like, damn, bro, because then you really start to question everything in some ways everything you've been taught like damn Abe Lincoln wasn't this shit like damn why they make you stand for the Pledge of Allegiance I know you went to Berkeley school you don't have to do that shit but like (laughs) just like the most basic shit you're like damn this shit is really ingrained within society and just just think like oh we're taught that enslaved black people never fought back like why do we learn about you feel me that was definitely something I heard all the time that was definitely something I heard you know so like you you find about find out about Nat Turner at age 19 you know what I'm saying? They're like, damn, history was just hidden right in front of my eyes the whole time. Nigga, I went to the University of Idaho. There was no black studies program up there. <sighs> Y'all didn't even have no ethnic studies. Huh? <laughs> Nigga, what? Y'all had straight American history. Like, what the fuck? The Black Student <laughs> Union was the athletes. 
Like that was our PSU money. Yeah, bro. I don't. <laughs> like, did you have any black students who didn't play sports? Nah, for sure not. Nice. And if like, I mean, every now and again, you might get like that one black person out from like Spokane or Lewiston, like Spokane, Washington, which is <laughs> yeah. like, probably has like a small black population, right? Or I bet, I bet it's probably like seventeen black people in Lewiston, Idaho. Mm-hmm. I bet, mm-hmm. uh, and like maybe a few in Boise, but like, fuck, I don't think there were yeah. any black people that looked, that were like from Moscow. And if yeah. it was, it was like, nigga, like. You can count them yeah. for sure, um, but yeah. So I think you know being at Manhattan Community College and tapping in with all these different Black studies and Black organizing groups really get to be, and you get to like get your history from them. Yeah. No longer getting it from the white folks, right? Like that really is what we we start to realize in Chapter Twelve when she's in Community College. This is where her politics are starting to be shaped. Mm-hmm. And even just thinking about like the Black is Beautiful movement that like popped off within the party and shit sure like that to like, say aloud type shit yeah like that shit for sure started for asada at manhattan community college you know she's like oh i learned to love my hair you feel me i learned to love who i am and that was because she was learning about herself and her people and the history that we do have yeah, it's wild like i don't want to go off on a tangent i think about yesterday i tweeted some shit about um looking for a book a book for my niece yeah she recently had said, said something to my my sister about like Wanting straight hair and being jealous of people with straight hair, I'm like, I just went and bought her a bunch of books on like loving yeah. your blackness and loving your hair and shit. So I'm thinking like, yeah, like how important that shit is, mm-hmm. and like, I wish I was, I wish I would have had more of that instilled in me as a fucking child. Yeah. Then you get to like, you know, start trying to navigate yourself amongst European fucking Eurocentric fucking standards, standards. and yeah, but yeah, but it's just 12, wild like how that's just yeah. like that's indoctrinated to you at a young ass age. Bro, my sister, like, my niece is five, nigga. Yeah. Like I can't believe Are you five years old? You should not be worried about that. Like, but I mean, like, think about all the dolls and shit, my nigga. That's like, what you bro, see, yeah. You know? TV. Like, I think, yeah. Fuck, was that a side where she was talking about like one in fucking white dolls and shit? What book was I reading recently? Yeah, but chapter twelve. A lot of it was her coming into her blackness, starting to understand blackness, and a, yeah. another big part of that was like accepting. Rejecting Eurocentric beauty standards. Facts. And this is also where she began to learn about communism, too. And I thought that was, like, a real important moment because she's like, at first she said she didn't fuck with it because she was just used to talking to these white people, these white leftists, these white communists, white socialists on campus, and that they just had no idea what they were talking about in terms of, like, black people. You feel me? And I remember for myself, too, I'm, like, being at Cal's campus on Berkeley, like, all these socialists and communists, they was all white but I was like, okay, they have some revolution shit and like they have a Malcolm X shit. But then like you talk to them and they're like, they're so far out from reality where they forget the actual conditions of people because they're so concerned with the fucking theory of, you know, Lenin and Marx and shit like that. Yeah, and it's wild because uh, my nigga Queer Socialism was on Twitter checking somebody about some like communist text because like they weren't, people were saying like, oh, you need to read this if you're really going to be versed in uh, communism and socialism. And they were like, nigga, what about like Angela Davis. What Huey about Newton. Huey? You feel me? <laughs> like, 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 I was like, like ain't that, it's wild and how Kuma. like in all these like yeah. so-called revolutionary theories. You gotta read angles and you gotta read. But it's like, like, but it's wild like and so how like anti-blackness surfaces in all these quote unquote revolutionary theories, my nigga. Right. And I thought that was important but when she said she learned about black communists is when she was like, she really started to engage with these theories. Yeah. You know, and then she's like, okay, to understand Huey, I need to read a little bit of Marx. You know what I mean? Facts. But, I thought that was something that was powerful, especially as, you know, she became a Marxist and a black Marxist and a revolutionary. You feel me? Yeah. Um, and I think probably a lot of people could relate to that. 
Especially with you, like these white socialists be thinking they know everything, bro. Yeah, like you know? for me, my inch, like I, I, you just forwarded me like some, I think some Marx, some Marx success, right? When yeah. I was like, I want to start reading, I want to read some more communist theory or whatever. But like my introduction to that shit was from black people, because I'm like, I know I can't, I don't want my introduction to any theory to be from white folks. I'm sorry, because it's, it's gonna be rooted in anti-blackness mm-hmm. and privilege. <laughs> you yeah. feel me, like. One, I think if I get my base understanding from black folks, then I can pick and choose which what parts part of the theory from the white folks that I want to that I want to consume. It's going to be easier to navigate the parts that aren't influenced by anti blackness, right? And you know, blinded by white supremacist privilege. You feel me? So, <laughs> like that's why I, yeah. I was lucky enough to get turned on by black folks first. Yeah, for me too. It was like the first time I really started understanding Marxism was reading Huey to die for the people. Yep. But like before that, I was like. What is this shit like? These niggas is kind of weird, like I mean, especially these white at, communist organizers in Berkeley, bro. When you be. look at mainstream communism, like the representation of mainstream communism and all that kind of uh, and socialism, it's always some white people. Yeah, <laughs> like always, every single time, but like, they get centered even in that shit. Yeah, it's something that's supposed to be dismantling a system. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. Uh, but yeah, it's, chapter it's thirteen. Different. We're still back in the. There's still. Uh, Goes back in time Like we're not It's not going back To her being on trial But it's talking about When she first visited California right mm-hmm. And it's still um, Kind of diving was, into The shaping of her politics And shit Yeah And it starts with Her finding out Martin Luther King was murdered Too yeah. And I feel like that That built like a lot of Revolutionary rage Within her at that time period I could only like You know like imagine that Like the biggest And he was praised For being nonviolent. You feel me And quote unquote Being the respectable one too Right but I feel Even like no matter he, where you align yourself at, like losing that nigga is, yeah. you feel me, it's a thing. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, but I think like. Your violent shit, you know? Yeah. I think people just saw, saw him as this icon, like, damn, how could that happen to somebody who was peaceful and wanted to build a quote unquote bridge? You know what I mean? Even though he, towards the end of his life, he's like, nah, nigga, this integration shit ain't going to work. This yeah. house is burning. You feel me? But I think that's what really did it for a lot of people. Regardless like if, of ideology. Yeah, you know? it's like if this, like the ideal, the model, like activist and leader and organizer at that time was Martin Luther King, like someone preaching a nonviolent politic, right? If that person who is literally talking about walking amongst white folks and coexisting, like the shit that they preach, mm-hmm. if this nigga is just basically re- reiterating their theories, at least at the, like we said, towards the end, he got a little bit more radical and was like, fuck all that shit. Um, but like, if even he's gonna be assassinated by the state, what is that? What we have? So I think that was like a pivotal time for her yeah. as well. And that's when um, she got married for a short time too. Got a divorce. Just said it wasn't working. And I think after that decided to move out to, to Berkeley, right? It was hella funny because in your notes, you know, you remind <laughs> me that she's called it like the most radical place. And she for sure probably wouldn't say that now. now. Or not even hella now, like right at like. Yeah. I think that probably changed as she became more like really understood more and more what radical meant. Mm-hmm. Cause like Berkeley for sure was only like that was like doing a freedom. What was that? The what they call it, the love free shit? speech movement, the hippie shit. Uh, yeah, but it's know. like the love. I don't know whatever they used to call that like time period. Um, the love generation. But they was for sure on that. Like they was for sure on some rejecting the system type shit. You know what I'm saying? They was living also. It was they, Berkeley in the seventies. Right was <laughs> over with that with that hella nice ass tent community. Oh fucking. That some niggas choose to live in. Bruh. Like, that's what Berkeley was all about. Like, rejected. Like, nah, fuck that, man. 
man, I got a trust fund, just man. It's, high, it's all know? good, man. I'm not living by my parents' standard anymore. I got fam. this freaking reefer, and it's from the West Coast, man. It ain't from the park. East Coast, you, you man. You about how people's park used to be. She was damn near at the park. In the, uh, in the yeah, book she, she talks she, about being at people's party. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like I feel like for the standard of radicalism at that time, it for sure was radical. It was just because I feel like at a baseline, it was like rejecting the system. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then you also had, yeah, you also had these radical groups in the area too. So I think that definitely played a, played a part in it, you know, but it was just, it's just funny because everybody calls Berkeley or like, Oakland. You know the Panthers was for sure influencing them hippie days. Yeah, like, yeah right. They got it right, man. Fuck the system, yeah. bro. Free love, weed. Right, all they wanted to do was just smoke weed and, and, and not work. <laughs> and not work a nine to five. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, but I thought that, that time period too, when she moved to Berkeley and, and was around Oakland and, and went to Alcatraz and was in San Francisco and shit, I think that's when she developed like a deeper understanding for solidarity too, because she went out there and she said, "Okay, I need to go to Chinatown and meet the Red Guard, you know, a communist group in Chinatown." Like she was trying to build with them, fucking she, with the indigenous folks. Yeah, so yeah, going over to Alcatraz and and fucking with natives. You feel me? And like becoming a medical assistant over there. And she said she was taking this tiny ass boat <laughs> to I mean, Alcatraz. I just imagine that I was like, bro, like she got in a tiny boat where there's water on the shit. Like I was yeah. like, damn. I mean, you gotta, at Manny. some point, <laughs> at some point, if you're gonna call yourself a radical, you gotta understand in which the importance of all of us that have been, you know, um, victims of the white supremacist state. How it's mm-hmm. important for us to link up, period, yeah, and build coalitions yeah. and shit like That's that. That's the only way we're gonna be able to get it go. You know, only way. Right. It's the only way. So I thought I thought that was dope. Especially just how she she just wanted to go meet and build with different um organizations that was doing radical shit but by different races and shit, you know, meeting with the Brown Berets, all that shit. And I feel she really like she did her research. Right. Like she moved out here and said, Okay, this is what I wanna do. I wanna learn about this, I wanna learn about that. She was and she was linking up with people and like she was going straight to the source, like not let let me go tap in with some so and so and ask about these people. Like, yeah. nah, I'm about to go pull up on them today headquarters. Like, bro, she was like everyone. Nigga, I don't know where Chinatown is, but she finna pull up to Chinatown. And then she said she was like she kind of met the red guard on a fluke or some shit. Like she was smoking yeah. weed in the park I, with I some of her partners. <laughs> and even then, she was, that shit made me think about because um, she was talking about how she realized like, bro, I can't be out here like playing and slipping like that. Like I'm I'm out here for like I'm focused. Like I'm really about. Um, I came here to do. I came here to do a job. Let me get. Let me get refocused. She was like, "I'm so, how I'm supposed to be doing this work, and I'm out here like, I don't know. I don't, it didn't. I don't know." She felt like she like, got caught slipping. Yeah, in like, some I don't ways. think it was on some like respectability politics type. She's like, "Oh no, you ain't supposed to have no fun. You ain't supposed to party." But it's yeah. like, nigga, like I literally came here to do a specific thing. And around the park smoking weed, and I can get arrested. Like, Catting off. Like, yeah. I only got the summer out here. You feel me? So I think it really helped me really think about the importance of staying focused when you are in the midst of it. Like, I don't ever want to tell nobody you got to be, like, serious all the time, but, like, there's a time and place for everything, and that's things, that's something that, that reminded me of. Discipline. Yeah. I saw that was definitely a, a woman of discipline, that's for sure. But this is also um, when she began to get more involved with the Panthers. So she went to the, the headquarters in Oakland and was volunteering, working there, um... And she was, like, genuinely, like, impressed by them. I think she was worried at first. Like, I think it's a little bit of respectability politics she was talking about in some ways. She was like, oh, y'all niggas just be talking, like, hella crazy and shit. Like, why don't y'all be, like, a little bit more calm? Simmer down. <laughs> Simmer down, like some of them civil rights niggas. Like, <laughs> um, Many of folks thought that about the Panthers. Yeah, like, them niggas was like. <laughs> and then you get to see the work that they you, actually. Cracker. You get to see the work that they're actually doing. Like, I think that's what yeah. really, you know, helped change her perspective about them is, like, really. 
seeing like yeah they with the talking but they really with the action too like mm-hmm. they will do the necessary actions to, to be a resource to defend and to take care of their people to be in the community yeah and she said they was open to the critique as well too and like like oh no you need to you need to fuck with us you feel me you'd be good for the party the party would be good for you type shit where there was that like mutual understanding and learning mm-hmm. you know um and then you know jonathan jackson was killed murdered and that really hurt her hit her too i feel like that was another pivotal moment yeah and for for those that don't know who jonathan jackson is um i guess to like go jonathan jackson was the brother of george jackson and yeah. george jackson was a part of the soledad brothers mm-hmm. they were panthers and shit yeah they were panthers and they were in soledad prison when yeah. when a guard shot and killed three unarmed prisoners on the yard and then was basically the the jury called it justifiable homicide, right? So nothing happened to him. And on the day of the verdict, um, Jonathan pulled up with them straps. No, that wasn't the day of the verdict. The no. day of the verdict, the white guard was found dead. Yeah, and they 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 um charged George Jackson, um George Jackson, John. I don't know how to pronounce this. Clachette. I don't know what the hell his last name is. And Fleeta Drumgo, uh, were all these are three. These are the Soledad brothers that were charged yeah. with murder of of the, of the of guard. guard. Um, and jo- and Josh, no, is it Josh? Jonathan. Jonathan yeah. is George's brother. Yeah, jo- Jonathan broke in to the courthouse. To a courthouse. <laughs> yeah, and held um, the a judge. DA and the judge hostage. Right. Yeah, with a um, shotgun to the head. With shotguns, like let the Solo- let the Soledad brothers go by twelve thirty, um, and that didn't happen. And he killed them. He killed the judge and the DA. Or just, the, or just, or just they just killed Jonathan. The, they killed, the pigs yeah, killed Jonathan. Got killed. Jonathan got killed. I'm not sure if he killed. Her. Yeah, Jonathan got killed though. Um, so like, yeah, that was that's the story that the Soledad brothers. But that's how Jonathan died. Yeah, and that was one of the things that she said really fucked her up. But I think she damn near found it inspiring too, because it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> Jonathan was brother. 17, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That nigga was 17. Pushing his strap, issue, nigga. nigga. It was, oh, bro. Like look. 17 years old, just taking freedom in his own hands, bro. Look, nigga. <laughs> that shit. Like, that that for sure inspired her. That shit's in chills down my spine. Yeah. I'm like, for sure, rest in peace to him. But, like, that's really what, you know, I think what happens when some niggas get fed up. And it's like revolutionary up. rage. And, like, I want my brother free. Yeah. Period. And niggas took freedom into their own hands. Nigga, the, nigga really shot three unarmed prisoners on the yard. And they deemed it justifiable homicide. How do you justify that? Y'all should definitely look into that case, bro. Yeah. Because we know that this shit. And then George out. Jackson, when he also uh, didn't he start BGF like the Black Real Family I'm in, not in sure. the pen? I don't know. I know that he was for sure a, a amazing leader and writer for yeah. sure. So, sure, I got his book somewhere in here too. Blood of my eye, I believe. Bro, and you know what's also wild about that? That's what Angela Davis is on the run for. Cause she apparently get this. They said she gave the strap to uh, to Jonathan. It was apparently her hammer, and then she was on the run for that shit. And then she got locked up. Shit is bro. Like this, oh, these niggas was really out here fighting for their lives in every single way. They're fighting for our lives too. Oh yeah, ours like, for sure. They were like, it was, for theirs, it was, but they it was, was rooted for, in people. It was rooted in the people. One thousand percent. Yeah, that shit. I, I again, chapter thirteen was one of those chapters that it, I feel like it's always doing two things for me at the same time, like humbling me and inspiring me. Um, excuse me. Just to think about like the possibilities of freedom, I feel like is that 
that's the inspiration. It and it also too, holds me to like it makes me want to hold myself and like you and other people that I organize with to a higher standard of just like making sure like whatever it looks like going above and beyond for our people today in 2019 in efforts of of, of solidarity and freedom like making sure we constantly doing what we can and what is necessary you know Facts. like definitely being strategic with our shit but like it's just making me hold myself to a new standard mm-hmm. uh, and also you know finding yeah finding motivation in in their struggle yeah and the shit that they went through definitely that time in Oakland, though, I would say it was fundamental for her, and I think that's what even led her to to join the party in New York, which we're going to talk about um, in another chapter. So, chapter fourteen. That was when. Uh, so, chapter fourteen was when Asada was taken to the federal, back to a federal prison. Um, this is basically the same shit where she was uh, being accused, where they made the photo. You feel me? The photo to make her look just like that, mm-hmm. and. Um, Afini Shakur was assisting on the case, which was Tupac's mom and also in the Black Panther Party. Right? Yeah. So just that was just that that case. But and just thinking about how she's being transferred from prison to prison to jail to jail, like solitary to solitary, bro. Like, ain't no telling what they doing to you every time you be transferred. Um They was just trying to break her spirit, you know, because it's like how can you defend yourself? If you're not in the right state of mind, yeah, you know, if we if we're not feeding you the proper foods, facts, you know, if you don't have access to the to the proper resources, yeah. if you're not really able to build your case, right, if we craft in a jury full of all white racist jurors, if we if we got judges that are already in their minds determined that you are guilty, like we trying to stack the odds against you in every which way possible. And I think one one thing that comes up back again. Like what we talked about in another episode is how Evelyn was always there. And then also like how Afini is now here for her as an assistant on the case. Like literally her family was going to bat for her, you know, and, and like what are we trying to do everything possible to get her acquitted um, and to get her off of, you know, this case dismissed, this railroaded type shit that they had. So, again, this is where they tried to use the photo from when Asada was beat by the deputies, but it didn't work because like her face was in so much agony, yeah. agony from being beat. At the time, you feel me? So just imagine if she did if she did not refuse, what would have happened? Real, you know what I'm saying? We know what like, would happen. And then they tried to, the FBI used someone who was a quote unquote expert in photography, right? After they still tried to use that. Fo- what do you call niggas that study rocks? That's what he was a rocky allergist. <laughs> so this nigga, like they brought in a quote unquote expert <laughs> to who's studies photography or some shit and this nigga never studied photography this nigga studied rocks and basically said that he can use a microscope to look at an image in order to determine if this photo matches a person but then Asada's lawyer team was like nah hell nah we gonna uh, hire a professional photographer and basically the professional photographer was like nah like it's impossible to use a microscope to identify someone because it's just gonna be look like dots it's pure, it was a lie. Like, it was just, they literally threw everything possible, despite not having a case, just to keep Asada still locked up and to keep them fighting charges I mean, against charges against charges. think about how many folks charges. that these kind of cases stuck with during that time who didn't have access to a legal team, who wasn't as versed, because, like, Asada also had the privilege of, like, being a college student. You feel what I'm saying? And she was well-versed, and she was reading her shit, and she was representing herself like, damn near at certain times. Like, frontline like, soldiers from that that movement went down because they didn't know how to read or some shit like that didn't have access to that just think about people who weren't involved in the black liberation movement who just, who, just, who gets washed by the system yeah because they can't they don't have a they don't they can't afford afford a lawyer and like with each chapter while these trials are going on place 
and like we're going to dive into a little bit more in these next chapters you see that all of these folks are agents of the state right like they were they were crafting they were getting scientists to back their logic quote-unquote scientists the prosecutors right. are yeah, quote-unquote scientists to back their logic right so what happens to the folks that have a da that's in line that is that is supporting mm-hmm. the prosecution facts and like literally they had to get a judge's order to get money to have these people to, to hire their own to debunk all these scientists. trash ass theories period like this shit is just damn near like a fucking case of mythbusters like <laughs> literally like <laughs> all this pseudoscience type shit they were using just to try to lock us out of up this is she's nuts but just it shows you the lengths that this system will go to to persecute and to try to kill and to try to lock up a black revolutionary who was you know who scared the state mm-hmm. right so but that's how to beat the case <laughs> he beat that motherfucker like because they did nothing to help themselves with them trash ass witnesses theories no they weren't they, they were pretty stupid yeah but luckily you know it's how they had evelyn right yeah had a, had a good legal team and she was being able to represent herself because if that wasn't the case you know who knows what would happen so chapter 15 Asada joins the Panthers in New York. Yeah. So definitely from her experiences in Oakland, she was like, all right, I got to I gotta join the party in New York. Um, and she joined. She was immediately a part of, like, the medical cadre and shit, was just assigned to that. Mm-hmm. But then she gets, like, expelled within the first couple of days because she left her papers on the desk or some shit like yeah. that. And what was his name? His last name was Bay, I'm pretty sure. I don't know, but he was definitely hella rude to her. Yeah. Like, and she checked that nigga real just quick. Just hella power strong power hungry and shit so she gets expelled and then asada would like basically call that nigga up and was like nah bro you tripping <laughs> you know and it was like you hella arrogant all the you know yada 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 this shit ain't gonna happen and then she's basically reinstated and then put to the to the breakfast program yeah. but i think this kind of shows like just the the power hungry shit that was happening like people got a a title you know which we'll talk about more later and you know people yeah. get a title people get power and then I mean, like Start all, treating people like I shit. I think like a lot of the people you know? who were, um, who were close to like, who were either leaders or close to the leadership in the Panthers, they always are like pretty critical of the ways in which they functioned, um, and like telling us like, yeah, I know, like you know, we've been put on some type of pedestal, but like shit wasn't just perfect within yeah. the Panthers, you know. And I think that's what this chapter does again. It's a in depth look from someone who was so close to the work that was being done, and who fully believed in the work and fully immersed themselves in the work, right? Being like, yeah, my nigga, like we know y'all fuck with us, and yeah, what we did was amazing. We did, but there were also a lot of things that, that were detrimental up. to the movement and de- and pivotal to our demise mm-hmm. that was going on. Yeah, and I think it was important that this is being talked about. So that we don't make the same mistakes moving forward. Because you, I mean, you, know? you see it, you see it now with people who claim to be leaders of the movement, right? Niggas like Sean King, who you know want all the credit and still say he raised all this money just by, <laughs> by doing a fucking tweet and <laughs> you know, like, stealing work from black women. And you, you see, you know, you see it all the time with people who want to claim themselves as part of the movement, right? Like you got to just. Um, I think it's important. To always check yourself and what you got going on and listen yeah. to people who quote unquote aren't in roles of leadership that are in your organization. Facts. Period. Yeah. So she was a part of the breakfast program and I thought, you know, she she was someone who always really paid attention. And I think that's something that especially when she was underground, it just shows like how detailed she was to paying attention. But you remember seeing like this little kid like, you know, sneaking food and it's like, Oh, I didn't steal it. You know, like and what do we felt like he was stealing? Like, no, she, she's like, it's free. 
you feel me and like you know and then she told all the kids like if your parents ever need food they can come to the breakfast program too and i thought that's that's a moment that stuck out to me is like she was really incredibly empathetic and thoughtful it was always thinking about other people in a lot of ways so i thought that was that was powerful um but yeah throughout the party she did you know she worked with support groups to get panthers bailed out um that's one thing i did like with all the you know critique that happens with the panthers like they did things like that uh, many of us follow right now right like making sure you got bill money ready for your comrades and all that kind of shit like they were just they were super young and like things were moving hella fast for them but for the moments that they were around like they they had a they had a everlasting impact because like nigga we have the a shit that we, we do. have a breakfast program because of these niggas the ways in which we organize yeah. some of our strategies are really taken from the panthers facts yeah, and that's just powerful and um i thought it was also important like Asado is pretty critical of the parties, but I feel like in a very principled way. It wasn't just like a... It was always constructive criticisms, I feel like. Like, one thing somebody taught me, one of my coworkers taught me, she was like, when she comes with a... She never comes with a problem that doesn't have a solution. And I think that's kind of what Asada did. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, even when you talked about how she was critical of, like, the education. Like, all right, how these niggas going to be um, learning about... All the Marxist shit. Yeah, but, like, we don't know shit about Harriet Tubman and that term. Marcus Garvey, yeah, like, right. Yeah, it's like... Every time she came with a with a with a a critique, it was followed with a solution. Like, yeah, y'all niggas shouldn't be teaching them just this Marxist shit. They should be learning about the the black leaders that came. Yeah, you know, that that was a part of this work, a part mm-hmm. of the black liberation shit. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I hella appreciated that shit. It is necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, I think she also was just like the the idea of a above ground versus underground is also a key thing that came up. Mm-hmm. Right, so there was rumors of the headquarter um, to be attacked. So, like one of the principals of the Panthers is like, "Now nah, we finna defend this shit from the police." So they started boarding the shit up. You feel me? Make a hole so that they could shoot out of. And Asado was like, "Bro, this shit ain't that smart. Like, like what are we like? We're fighting for this headquarter, but like this that don't make no sense. Like we gotta if we're if our goal is to keep up the fight, we can't just keep up the fight by doing this. And it's almost like a a suicide in yeah, some so ways like, you feel like me? we're gonna have a shootout with these niggas and like we're literally cornered into a building one building with no escape route like that's yeah <laughs> you know and, and i think that's where she started to talk about the above above ground versus the underground and i think right. this that was one of the ones hell yeah that really hit me like like yeah and I'll, all right i'm trying to think about how to talk about this without but yeah, like there's just a certain way to move period. that's what i got from it like mm. yo my nigga like not everything friend. needs to be said yeah. <laughs> not everything has to be tweeted. Like, let's not, not everything show our has full hand. You feel Bruh, me? That's yeah. And I think one one powerful quote that I took away from it was she said, "Quote: An above ground political organization can't wage guerrilla war any more than an underground army can do above ground political work. Although the two must work together, they must have completely separate structures, and any links between the two must remain secret." That's the shit that nigga. That's gospel. <laughs> what the fuck, bro? I nigga, swear to God, this shit, this shit is Ooh. literally <laughs> what? This shit, this shit is a revolutionary Bible, bro. Like that this shit. nigga. That's the <laughs> chapter. What chapter is this? Chapter uh, chapter 14? fifteen. Chapter yeah. fifteen of Asada, nigga. That's that's some revolutionary shit. It's like a Bible verse, bro. Right there, right there. And I think that shit. Was, that shit was so important. Because you look at that, like this is. Honestly, what led to the political demi- what led to the demise of the Panthers? Facts. Like everything was so out in the open that it was targeted that, that it allowed your enemy to prepare. Like, okay, yeah. we see what y'all on. 
we see with y'all on. Not to say that this will like having a, a secret plan will protect you. Right, because they're still going to surveil you. But it at least increases your odds, my nigga. Like, it was very clear that Shui was the leader. Yeah. Very c- clear that Bobby Seale was the leader. You feel me? Like, very clear who the leaders were in a lot of ways within the organization yeah. and the structure of it. And when the enemy knows everything, every single thing, it's easy to pitch you against them. You know, so this is what started happening to the party. Uh, it's obviously easy to say from now. Uh-huh. Like, we didn't even live in those fucking times. We had no idea what it was like to be under that fucking type of pressure or surveillance. You feel me? Like, niggas was just doing their best. You yeah, feel me? Facts. Um, but COINTELPRO started to really have a devastating impact on the party and COINTELPRO was the FBI's surveillance program which was a war these niggas was writing fake letters fake letters and shit rumors killing you feel me killing people incarcerating people you know all the cases that decided cop was under FBI's COINTELPRO program you feel me um but this is when Huey expelled like the Panther 21 mm-hmm. you feel me and that was basically cause uh the FBI sent a letter to Huey's brother saying Panthers were plotting to kill him you know and then a letter was sent to Eldridge uh, Cleaver um, about the you know, Panther 21 and shit being like very critical of the party. Yep. But the, all that shit was written by the FBI. You know, but Huey thought it was <laughs> people, you know, dissent within the organization. So they could start getting expelled. Issues starting to happen. And I think that's that was like a big demise. Is also got people, the, people how young had, they were. You said what? How young they were. How young they were. And they probably, you know, people knew the police was on them, but they probably had no idea. Like niggas that, didn't know what Cointel Pro was until after. Was involved, the chief, nigga, the like president Nixon involved in all this shit. Like, even on my uncle's case, Nixon was involved on that shit too. You know, and I think now it's easier to know because now we know what Cointel Pro was. But at that time, this was before motherfuckers. Did, yeah, like niggas even knew what the fuck was going on. Like we know that we under surveillance. We see that some fishy shit going on, but we don't understand the depths and the severity of this shit. Yeah, and that's what Asada even starts to attribute. Like a lot of the issues that the Panthers had was actually because of the COINTELPRO. You know, so like what state oppression to an organization will actually do? You feel me? Yeah. To people or to the organization. And this is around like at the end of the chop at the chapter, um, Asada goes underground. Yeah. So basically, one of her comrades. Um, tells Asada that the police has been watching her, you know, her apartment at that time. But also Asada was like, oh, yeah, I stopped paying my phone bill. My phone still started, kept working and shit like that. So she knew she was being surveilled. She said she'd be walking around. Police would be watching her and shit like that. So she kind of was feeling that surveillance, right? And then there's pigs monitoring her house and she doesn't go back. And that's when, like, she goes underground officially. Yeah. And so, like, chapter 16 and 17 kind of, um, dive into what life being underground was for mm-hmm. was like, right? like how she started to to go underground and at least the way like Asada was riding though at that time, like it didn't make like it didn't seem like she was like a huge leader within the party at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like she was a part of like the medical group. She was a part of like getting people out of the cases. You know, and even she she said like, oh, I'm I'm trying to be more involved with shit. You know, I ain't trying to just do all this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I'm sure at any but, point they just had, depending on like, like I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, okay, we see who's running the free breakfast program, right? Like, who's there serving the food? Let's just tell her one day and see what's going on. And then you see like, 
Okay, she involved with all these different. You do your research. Okay, yeah. she didn't been to Oakland, fucking with the Panthers. She didn't fucked with the Red Guard and all these. You feel yeah. like is the, they have access to this kind of information. Yeah. So it's like okay, although you might not be making decisions, you're a threat because we know how you're being politicized. Facts at this point in time, like your your trajectory is to be a leader, which ended up happening, right? Exactly. Um. So yeah, I think it just she became. All it takes is for them to like tell you a couple mm-hmm. times and see what the fuck going on. If your phone is tapped, ain't no time type to tell them what kind of conversation she had mm-hmm. from you or who, who she around. But you just see like how vast this like oppression was. You know what I mean? And it's like it's, that wasn't just watching Huey. They was watching every fucking Panther. Yeah, and I, I, to reiterate, <laughs> you know, they said they had a black militant handbook of like every militant. You feel me? So from like a street like, soldier no to handing the breakfast out, no matter like you, you was literally, you know. Facts. And again, what I think chapter 16 and 17 do, and we kind of lump these together because they're so short, um, and they're kind of centered around the same theme of being, a, excuse me, aside of being underground. Again, like I like we've stated before earlier in the chapter, I just want to keep reiterating this and like driving this point home. It's like these two chapters consistently remind me of what it was like to live in that time and to be associated with the Black Liberation Movement. Mm-hmm. Like that shit was life threatening, my nigga. Like to really come out and take a stance against the state could put your life on the line, my nigga. Facts. Period. And literally, being against the state was feeding children, making sure parents were fed, making sure people had medical resources within the party, and that our people had medical resources. Making sure that we weren't getting harassed and assaulted. Trying to help people beat cases. You know what I'm saying? Like that was the work. And then to be targeted like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, what are we doing? The shit, basic human rights, medicine, you feel me? Food, and then it's being targeted, like to a point to where they said Asada was wanted for a machine gun shooting of police. She sees her face, starting to see her face everywhere. So, oh shit, you know. And it goes. It was just pinning crimes on people, left and right, and that was the propaganda too. You feel me? It's like, all right, if you see, if you see all these people's images, wanted, wanted, wanted. Well, what are, what are most people going to believe? And if you're already racist. <laughs> we know white people going to believe it. Yeah, you feel me? So, like, what do we just propaganda and propaganda about this movement to even, like, isolate revolutionaries from even some black people? Like, oh, no, they they the crazy militants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, yeah. So, this is when she becomes a part of the, the Black Liberation Army, which she said was a de- decentralized but committed to armed struggle. Um, and there was an underground. You feel me? They went underground. And BLA was pretty much all... A lot of former Panthers and shit after yeah. folks had to go underground. So it was like the underground wing of the party that was really about revolution by any means necessary. And really believed in picking up the gun and fighting a revolutionary war. Yeah. As part of it. Not the whole thing, but that was that was an armed struggle was a big yeah. part. <laughs> it's chapter eighteen, man. She's acquitted of the bank robbery. And then transfer back to the Middlesex County Jail for men and place in solitary. Bruh, in solitary it's like, bro, she couldn't even get like a first day out. Shit, like, bro, like, like she was, was she beat case like, and then go back to jail yep, for another case. Not back to solitary. Like, all right, you here until we start the trial for the next shit. And she just kept winning. She just kept winning, kept being acquitted for yep. all these because it was like the shit just was. It was clear, and it was like we gonna find something to stick for your ass, and until mm-hmm. we find it, you are gonna sit your ass right in here in yeah. this jail. So after she beat the the bank robbery, she was. This is when she went back on trial, I believe, for the the turnpike shooting. Yep. Right. So she's placed, you know, back in a solitary 
for over a year in a men's prison. You know, and like her lawyers are, you know, doing lawsuits about cruel and inhumane conditions and all that type of shit, right? So just even think about like how she's helping fight her own case and she's in cruel and inhumane conditions. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we not giving her a chance to even, you feel me? Like, what if the light was out the whole time she couldn't read type shit? I mean, you know like, what I'm saying? Like, which probably happened. We, we got we got to go above <laughs> and beyond. We're gonna do whatever we can to increase our can our chances at the prosecution to win this case. Literally, the definition of railroad. And after wash your ass. <laughs> literally, after reading about her stories being incarcerated, I don't know how you could be believe that prisons should exist. That's that's the thing that keeps coming back for me. Is like, bro, how do you believe in fucking incarceration as a system? After reading this shit, yeah. like how inhumane this shit was, and continues to be to this Thanks. day, All right, bro. That's why, like, we really mean prisons got to fucking go. One thousand percent, bro. Like, there's no like, you read this shit, you hear what's happening to one of the most famous prisoners who had attention and who had support from the outside at that time. I can only imagine how they doing somebody that don't got no resources. We hear the stories all the time. Like, there's really some. You know, like poor, very, very poor folks that are in prison. And this is terrorism. And you hear about, I just read a, I read a story know. where there's, a, there's a, a, a black trans woman in solitary confinement in a man's prison right now. Like, shit's still going on. This shit, like, this right. shit not making national news, you feel me? Because look who it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the reality for the folks that don't got no big name. That's what prison is like for motherfuckers mm-hmm. who don't got that kind of communal and national platform, that kind of support or platform. And this is it's nothing short of terrorism. Psychological terrorism, physical terror. Like this this state is terrorizing black people yeah. through incarceration. You feel me? And that's something that isn't like talked about like that. Like this shit is terrorism. <laughs> Period. You know what I mean? Something else that surfaces throughout this chapter, right? Um, Because they're trying to do all this scientific work around, like, the ballistics and the blood and, like, you know, like, just build their case around how, like, we didn't kill this motherfucker, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And her lawyer, Cohen, one of her lawyers, because it's 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 Evelyn and Mm -hmm. this guy, Cohen, as her lawyer two of her lawyers on the case right? yeah. um, Cohen finally finds like an investigator that's willing to work with him yeah. and he pops up like Cohen ends up dead yeah and um, the, having the investigator was very hard for them to get to and they finally found one yeah because basically no person who was able to have like scientific evidence they always are working with the police so like ballistics reports and shit like that if they speak negatively against the police what's happening to them you feel me I mean, they lose their job and what happened to the lawyer nigga died and this really reminds me of what just happened with Joshua Brown. Bro, the nigga who testified against Amber Geyer. Is mm-hmm. that her name? Geyer or some shit. Yeah, like you see what happens when you proclaim yourself as an enemy of the state. Mm-hmm. Like this nigga, within days, like within days of finding um, a, a, science, a forensic scientist to help them with a side of his case, he pops up dead. And all the paperwork and all the research he had done just ends up gone. Facts. Within days of testifying against Amber, the cop. Um, they found information on the police, too. The pig. Yeah. Like Cohen did about yeah. the person who was about to, the pig who was about to testify. About the yeah, they found, he found information on him. Um, so basically what happens when you align yourself 
um, as someone who's opposed against the state, this is what they do. They kill you. And this is nigga. This was a white warrior too. What was this? This was the seventies. This case is happening, nigga. The guy or shit, Joshua just was murdered this past week. Decades have passed, my nigga. Nothing's changed because the system gonna do what it's supposed to do, and the strategies that have been implemented by agents of the state have not changed. They yeah. will go to grave lengths to keep this shit intact and to set you up. Like literally, this shit they're trying to set up. What was the name again? Joshua. Yeah. What do we? People drove six hours to buy some weed from him, and left the weed after they killed him. So they left four. He. They said he had five. What four thousand dollars in this 4, house? Four thousand dollars in cash. And then like what five pounds? So it was a boss shit, and niggas didn't take it to peas with him. And y'all also didn't know that. Like how did how did y'all not find this? While y'all were doing like I know y'all did a, a background search on him before he hit the stand. Facts. Y'all, I, I know, know y'all know this was fucking surveillance. Like, I know y'all surveillance. He was gonna find any other way to like make sure his testimony was discredited. Why is, it, why is his weed background just now showing up? Because it doesn't exist. That's why. And niggas drive that far for weed. Niggas send peas to the mail. <laughs> <laughs> like, we know how this works. Niggas send peas to the mail. Four like wasn't even that many. Like you think what? You think it's out crazy? You would drive up for a hundred peas, not four. <laughs> what my nigga? Yeah, it just had a lot of similarities for sure. And then, like, all the papers came up missing that Cohen had, right? His whole defense. So, all the defense that they were spending all this time preparing, getting scientific witnesses to dispel what the police were saying, all that shit was there. And then the judge basically said, you can't use the scientific witnesses no more after Cohen is killed, right? But then it's found that all the papers that they had, the police had them. So all of Cohen's papers was taken by the police, and they didn't find out to hell late after, right? And then there was trauma, but you what know a, what? A, um, what happened to Cohen? They said, "Oh, it was natural." That they found it, but they said there was trauma with his body, and then the police and no one, no one knew. <laughs> we know what happened. We know exactly. It, it was, was killed, bro. We know what happened, right? Because they knew that Cohen found some shit that was gonna acquit Asada. So yeah, and then after that happens, you know. Um, Evelyn's the lawyer again, and then the judge removed, didn't remove uh, racist ass juror, jurors, had an all white jury. At this point, so we tired of playing with your ass. Like, nah, nobody, nigga, this your last case, you going to jail, bro? Like she's beating, <laughs> she's beating case after case after case. Like, oh, you not beating this one? We gonna kill your lawyer, nigga? We gonna give you all yeah, white jury? Defend, we not, yeah, like we not like, playing no games. It's a prerequisite to say nigger to be on this jury. Like that's how. This shit How was. Are you? Have you ever had a black friend? Do you want black friends? How do you, <laughs> you feel heard about a black, black people? How do you feel about black people? Would you specifically? Would you, how do you feel about Asada Shakur? Would you date a black person? No. <laughs> like, on, like, bro, they just—they made it very clear. Like, all right, you're not beating this one. Sorry. Facts. You're not beating this one, nigga. Your defense is gone, and you got a a, a, a juror a jury full of racist white folks. Good yeah. luck. And then she was transferred after that. And so in chapter 19, she was transferred to a federal facility in Virginia for the quote-unquote most dangerous women in the country. I'm basically just putting it in the pen in a general population with Nazis, like white women who was Nazis. Yep. Like, that was, like, <laughs> bro, like, the fact that... Niggas didn't even want her to make it to trial, honestly. Bro, like, they literally tried to do everything possible to kill Asada. And like if you're li if like right now we're on chapter 19 if you listen to the other chapters with her being like from the moment she was arrested 
listen, like you see that they were trying to kill her. Period. Point like they didn't even want her to make it to any of these trials. Honestly, she got shot, and they did not want her to survive, bro. Like those were literally trying to let her die. So how can you fuck with this state knowing that? Like you really think it's reform in this world for us? And niggas think it's gotten better in 2019 under quote unquote Trump, right? Like under this same exact fucking system. It's not like there's any there's ever been justice done after this shit. This shit has only gotten stronger and stronger. A nigga just a woman just broke into a black man's home and killed him in cold blood. And got ten years. And got ten years. Gonna be out in five. And even if she got a hundred years, that shit would not be justice. Justice is obliterating this white supremacist system that allows that shit to happen. And that's yeah, I just don't know how you could fuck with the state. I don't know how you could be a, a nigga like Jay Z and, and invest in incarceration after this shit. You know, and that's why. Oh, I see how you could do it, but well, you just can't say you care about black people. <laughs> facts. I don't know how you can say you care about black people and align yourself right with this. You could say Black Lives Matter, but do the contrary. You feel me? And that's, I don't know how you can align. Yeah, I don't know how you could say you believe in revolution and freedom and fuck with prisons. Yeah, I don't know how you could say you believe in revolution and freedom and fuck with. The state or try to the, fucking the, the, the judicial system I can't fuck with anything That's birthed from the state Nigga how do you fucking even endorse How do you call yourself a radical And endorse a fucking district attorney Questions that need fucking answers Actually we know the answers So chapter in 20 and 21 They're super short too This is you know the end of the book um, But it's just like this scene with uh, Asada and her daughter That's talked about in the story and that's that shit just like broke my heart, bro. Like, yeah. just thinking the 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 pain she went through and her mom went I mean, through. She's been, you just, she's been incarcerated since the birth of her daughter. You know, her daughter and just was, was four years old at yeah. that time when she was visiting her. She was conceived while she was incarcerated, and you she know? gave birth to her while she was incarcerated. Yeah, and just seeing like the the pain that it has taken on the family too, right? You know, like incarceration affects the person incarcerated, but also the effects are. Yeah. And this is the reality yeah. for everyone, right? That's that has a a family member in prison or anyone that's in that's you know loved ones kids yeah. in prison or whatever. Or like yeah, that that's in prison that has kids. I got some I got some friends like that. You know, that last two chapters were definitely heartbreaking. Um, thinking about you know her trying to navigate this shit. Like literally, she's she's going through all this shit while her daughter. Like yeah, like she's in prison while her daughter is growing up. Yeah, the entire time, and her daughter's sad about it, you know. Like, what if we does not have her mom, you know? That her mom's going through this. How does mom's going through it? And that's just just the the effects that incarceration and this this terrorizes the whole family, you know. Um, but then her grandma visits her, and I thought this this part was like just like kind of many. And profit or some shit. Yeah, it was just like, and she just talked about how her grandma always had dreams that basically was true, that would come true. She would, would come true type shit. And her grandma had a dream that they were in her house in Jamaica and some shit like that. And um, Asada was worried, like, oh, does that mean I'm dead or something like that? And she said, no, you were alive and you was okay. Telling and her, don't get comfortable in there. Like, whatever you do, just don't get comfortable up in there. Like, her grandma just came in with a smile. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, she escapes. And, you know, pops up in Cuba a few years later. And I thought that was, like, a powerful moment. Like, her her grandma was on some, like, 
prophet type shit. Yeah. Ancestor. I don't know. You know, power of ancestors. Whatever you want to take it like that shit was spiritual in some in some way. It's also important to note that you know the folks that broke her out of prison are still down. Shit. Sakuo cool Dinga. He just got out. Ooh. Like how long he served? Forty five years. So like niggas like her partners was it's like nigga freedom for hers. Fuck. Bro. We taking you out. We know what they've been doing to you, and we gonna risk my I'm like. Are not even we gonna risk our lives? Our lives. Surprised they didn't kill him. You know, and this niggas in the BLA. We're still locked up to this day. Put some money on these niggas' books, like whatever. Even, uh, I, 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 like, bro, we owe it to them. Kamal, yeah, too. Her partner, he's still locked up. Sundiata, I'm pretty sure he's still locked up. You know, so like, even reading the the different names that Asada is talking about during her time in this, you know, being in the pen or fighting cases and shit, or talking about her comrades, like a lot of her comrades is locked up still to this day. Like, yeah. wasn't wasn't able to escape. What's what's my um. What's my man's name from Ferguson? Josh. Josh, yeah. yeah. He down right now still from lighting the trash can on fire, bro. Got seven years. Come on, bro. This shit ain't no game. Gonna be in longer than uh, Amber was in and that Amber's gonna do for killing. Come on. Shit ain't no game. This shit real. Support your local organizer. Put money on the books. That's niggas that's down right now. I wish I had some links to boost. I'll just probably tweet some or something. We should yeah, no, we'll, on Patreon. we'll do something on Patreon. Oh, just... Yeah. uh. Put some money. I know shit. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put some money on Joel's books for yeah. sure. No rock for your niggas, man. It's niggas that actually put their lives on the line, their freedom on the line for this shit, and it's a disservice to them to not support them while they're down and out, Facts. or to keep their legacy and shit going. Like literally, niggas from the Black Lives Matter movement are being killed. Niggas from the Black Liberation Army, Black Panthers, still locked up to this day. You feel me? So it's important to to know which of our freedom fighters are still down and to be able to you know support them in any way you can. Whether it's putting five dollars, nigga, that shit gonna help if that's all you have. You feel me? So, support black radicals, black people in the field doing this shit. You feel me? Straight up. So that's that's a side of that that culminates. I hope y'all fucking loved our book review. This yeah. is our first one. We gonna do a little more. You know, like this. Song. We yeah. on our reading rainbow shit. We <laughs> going up right now. If y'all, if y'all fuck with you know this shit, let us know if you was fucking with us. Any ideas? If you're not, to we gonna improve. do it anyway. Like it don't matter. Yeah, we probably still gonna <laughs> do another book. <laughs> but I don't know. I thought this was cool to just bring more political education because this shit is like a revolutionary Bible. Asada's book should for sure be read, especially by anyone in the movement for sure. Like if you identify as a radical, this is. This is a must And if you don't want to read it Listen to these Three episodes that we did on it Because I feel like we Tried to cover A good amount of it So Yeah To tap into this next Part of the episode Go to patreon.com Slash hellblackpod Tap into this extended episode Five dollars a month You're going to get At least two to three episodes Of extended content every month You feel me And it's like Niggas putting hella labor Into this shit too You feel me So even if you can't No you cap know, I'm on my like, lunch break right now <laughs> Niggas be putting labor, writing these outlines and shit, getting shit together, you feel me? So, even if you got a dollar to spare, you feel me? We, we putting three hours plus of content out a month, you feel me? So, support support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash hellblackpod. If you can't do that, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, tag us at hellblackpod. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on IG, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, hellblackpod. Tap in this next part, patreon.com.